Ending a war is always hard. Coronavirus is making it even harder. You can't have peace talks through Zoom. I mean, that's something that you can't do. Hakim al-Masmari knows this because he's been trying to help end Yemen's civil war through mediation talks. And without face-to-face contact, he says mediation isn't working. Mediations need long days of long hours and continuous meetings trying to solve the problems. But you can't end the war by a Zoom conversation, a Zoom meeting. So how has the pandemic further complicated Yemen's civil war? And what's happening to the people? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. It's a little hard to remember when life was easy in Yemen. Civil war, poverty, disease, starvation. The Yemeni people who have survived have survived all of that. And then this. It took a day or two for us to reach Hakim. It's not easy to get someone in Sana on the line. Skype didn't work. WhatsApp was spotty. So a heads up that the recording isn't perfect. Hakim was also very busy, and the situation there is stressful. But he was also very polite. I'm sorry for the delays, yeah. I'm sorry for yesterday as well. Oh, no, don't worry about it. You are the guest. So where am I catching you right now? Where are you talking to me from? I'm in Sana'a. I'm a Yemeni-American. I've been living in Yemen for almost 20 years. Um, I first started in media you know, back in the early 2000s. He's the publisher and editor of the Yemen Post. But like a lot of things in Yemen, the paper's been struggling a bit. And like we said, he's gotten involved in mediating the civil war. But before we get to that, I wanted to hear from Hakim what it's like in Sana'a, just day to day. Generally, um, we don't leave the house only if you have urgent meetings. And in these meetings, we usually have our spacing, a lot of spacing. Spacing or social distancing. Like a lot of places during coronavirus, life in Sana'a isn't exactly normal, but the restrictions have been fairly lax. The main worry is for the family and trying to make sure that they are safe and not being infected. Have you been affected personally by COVID-19? Personally, I am very cautious because for myself and mainly for my family. And a lot of people around him are getting sick. I know quite a few. I can't confirm that they had COVID, but it's clearly not a normal, your ordinary flu or cold. If you ask me how many people I knew, I know who died, over 100, most likely from corona. But again, we can't prove that because of the lack of testing kits infected in the hundreds. And it's hit even closer to home. From my family, a bigger family, at least nine have died. All of them sudden, fluid, a hard time breathing, the same symptoms that happened for COVID-19. Nine people in a single family. It's so many people. Most of them were very healthy. They were all above 40, but very little symptoms or any health issues prior to that. Mm. And I think if you ask anyone in Yemen... They would tell you, easily tell you that they know um, quite a few people who died. And this is only in the last two months. I'm very sorry to hear that. 
You can just imagine Hakim's story multiplied again and again and again. I've been reporting on this pandemic since it started, and I can't remember speaking to anyone who says they know so many people who have died. So why? Why is Hakim seeing so much death? Well, first of all, Yemen is in year five of a civil war. As you mentioned, you're in Sana'a. It is a city that was very much part of Yemen's civil war. What is it like in Sana'a right now? Are you still reminded of the war going on as you walk through the streets? Right now it's different. Right now it seems that the Houthis are basically in control without any opposition. They gained control in September of 2014, just six months before the coalition announced a war on Yemen. The Houthis are a rebel group from Yemen's Shia minority. They're based in the north of the country, and they started their uprising from the internationally recognized government about six years ago. Yemeni government forces, backed by a Saudi-led coalition, have been fighting Houthi rebels since 2015. That was shortly followed by a Saudi Arabian-led coalition. That's the coalition that Hakim's referring to. It fired airstrikes on Yemen in support of the internationally recognized Yemeni government in the south to try and stop the Houthis' advance. For the Saudi-UAE coalition in Yemen, the series of airstrikes was a successful operation targeting Houthi military installations, but residents say the attacks targeted mainly civilian areas and that an entire family was buried under the rubble. So now, Sana'a has a Houthi government, and people like Hakim are looking to them to help control the pandemic. The Houthi government has, to some extent, downplayed this epidemic and have called on the people to be aware, but not go overboard with it. When this whole pandemic started, Yemen already had so much going on. But at first, it didn't seem like the coronavirus was going to be an issue. The problem is in Yemen, April 1st, Yemen had no cases. At least no reported cases. By that time, April 1st, the U.S. and Europe had thousands of cases, and they were fighting the virus head on. So people thought, you know, we are the only country in the world that did not have corona. At first, it seemed like the miracle that Yemen was due. In addition to the civil war, the country is suffering from an outbreak of cholera, malaria, dengue fever. It wasn't hard to hope for a break. That confidence, it really hurt um, many families or the country in general. People just continued on with life. It, it takes a while for people to understand the dangers that they're putting themselves in. So that's what is one of the main reasons why people are dying. And once people started dying, it was hard to hide from the fact that Yemen hadn't escaped the pandemic. Now, more people are aware of the virus. And Hakim says most people are wearing face masks, a positive step. But staying home still isn't always an option. Even if if they wanted to have quarantine, sometimes they can't because they're already poor and they need to survive or find enough food to put on the table for their children and their uh, families. The people that are dying right now, it's unbelievable rates. But the problem is you can't find out if it's from corona or not because of the um, lack of having test kits and the lack of the government 
capacity to tackle. So it's a situation where I don't think it's, it can be compared to anywhere in the world. This is a country that has come to rely on foreign aid for basic survival. About 80% of the population, 24 million people, rely on aid. 10 million are facing famine. We have 3.6 million uh, internally displaced. Over 2 million children in Yemen are already acutely malnourished. And it's a figure that WFP fears will increase. Five years of civil war brought aid in, but the violence also pushed a lot of that international aid away. Very few NGOs remain in Sana'a. And above that, you have this unbelievable pandemic that's spreading, and they have no idea how to tackle it. The hospitals here, are, are, they're not much equipped. There's been limited uh, UN funding for hospitals, little to none government as a support. And hospitals have this lack of energy. And lack of energy means lack of equipment. And of course, ventilators don't work without electricity, right? Oh, ventilators. And how many are in Yemen? Back in early May, there were only a few, very, very few. Sana'a hospitals and pharmacies don't have most of the life-saving medicines and tools. That's mainly the result of the five-year Saudi-UAE war and the economic hardship. I know that some of the hospitals in Yemen have also been hit in the course of the fighting, been bombed and just leveled out. A Saudi-led coalition airstrike has hit a hospital in northern Yemen, killing seven and wounding more. On Monday, an airstrike believed to have been launched by the Saudi coalition killed several. Obviously devastating, then that must have a lingering effect when it comes to treating people with potential coronavirus. I can easily have tens of examples in my mind. Hospitals, some that were attacked during the war by the coalition airstrikes, some that closed down. Uh, You have at least 9,000 medics who left the country. And these were professional medics who who were probably the elite of Yemeni medical system. They left the country and the siege that Yemen is witnessing, I mean, it has killed so many people, is one of the main reasons why medicine, uh, life essential medicine, can't enter the country. The Saudi-led coalition has periodically blocked humanitarian aid into Yemen while continuing its bombing campaign. The United Nations has called for an end to what it says is a catastrophic aid blockade on Yemen after Saudi Arabia cut all aid access to the country. So now hospitals are left vastly underprepared. Hospitals fearing that they could spread that virus inside the hospital, they would not allow patients inside the hospitals. Tens of cases that I know personally had nowhere to go. People are suffering and have no other options. Hakeem describes this incredibly sad desperation people with the virus are feeling there. They feel that it's safer for them to die instead of suffering, fearing that their family and loved ones could also be infected through them. Yemen even finds itself underprepared when it comes to death. In the Houthi-controlled north, people are often buried in secret or at night. There are reports that families and gravediggers are warned not to speak of the cause of death. Test results are not released if they are taken at all. The country's seen so much death that now families are struggling to find a place to bury their dead. 
the graveyards in Sana'a were basically jammed. The Sana'a government made some changes and those who wanted to bury their dead needed to travel outside Sana'a or in the suburbs of Sana'a. So suddenly, people are trying to bury their dead anywhere possible. I know relatives who traveled um, back to their hometown around three, four hours away from Sana'a just to bury their loved ones. And as people are struggling to find space for the dead, Hakim told us he was attending a meeting to announce that the schools are opening back up, which of course increases the possibility that the number of cases and the number of deaths will rise again. And now, it's almost hard to get your head around. The international community is pulling back its aid. The amount of money supporting the hospitals and the people trying to survive is decreasing. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, un- it's unbelievable. The UN decreased its funds by half this year. The UN says it needs $2.4 billion to cover essential aid in Yemen, meaning the closure of services for half of the country's hospitals and nutrition for 2.5 million starving children gone. And that's a problem, the UN says. We're reaching a potential breaking point in our programs where if we don't receive further funding soon, some one million people, many of whom rely on these programs to meet their most basic needs, including shelter and to afford food and medicine. Saudi Arabia pledged half a billion. The United Kingdom and the United States, which have been supporting Saudi Arabia with arms, added 200 million. And Germany added just over 100 million more. So it's a little confusing. Saudi Arabia is the largest donor, but they're also continuing to lead the coalition fighting Yemen's civil war. I asked Hakim why. Reputation, image, pressure, so many different reasons. These kinds of donations get headlines, Hakim says. Not everything that happens in Yemen gets that same amount of attention. As you see in media, especially in foreign media, Yemen does not get any attention when it comes during the war, violations that happen, we used to say, and I still believe it is, Yemen is the forgotten war. And even a global pandemic can't get the war to actually stop. UN puts very little pressure on both sides when it comes to having a long-term ceasefire. Late last year, there were very, very high hopes that this ceasefire could continue for 6 to 12 months. It's just not clear why clashing sides have not felt that it's time to end this war. Sadly, as you heard at the beginning, the pandemic actually works to stop peace and mediation. Hakim knows this well. It takes time. It takes time and it takes will. Sometimes you have the time, you have the capacity, but there's no will from one certain side. So there needs to be a will. And it basically um, disappeared over the last few months collapsed during this epidemic. Most civilians aren't at the negotiating table. They aren't part of the mediations. So when there is no will to stop the war, they're the ones who are harmed. So that also affects any peace in Yemen and time for these innocent civilians to um, take a breather and try to live the war of corona instead of having a dual war in front of them. 
The UN calls Yemen the world's worst humanitarian crisis. The situation is extremely alarming. They are talking about that the health system has in effect collapsed. And now you have Doctors Without Borders, MSF, saying the healthcare system has finally collapsed. Can it get worse than this? We asked ourselves in 2015 when this war started, and then 2016 came up, 2017, and I asked myself that same question. Could it get any worse? I have to ask that question every day to myself. He keeps asking, and it keeps getting worse. Right now, it's something you can't imagine or describe. So it's unbearable. It's unbearable. What are the worries that you're hearing from people that you talk to? What is top of their mind? Malika, people don't try to talk about negatives in Yemen. I mean, they have so many different catastrophes, problems, issues, crises. So right now, people are just trying to live and trying to ensure that their families stay safe, trying to put less pressure on your children. A month that their families are healthy is a successful month, even though you hear airstrikes at night at times. You hear friends who died, neighbors who died. I mean, at times, you know, you have to stay hours and hours trying to make your children happy and smiling and happy and and joking just because you want them to forget that they're living in a war zone. What they're living through is more than enough for anyone to, to live with. And that's The Take. On Friday, we talk specifically about coronavirus and what it's doing to kids. This episode was produced by Amy Walters, with help from Alexander Locke, Priyanka Tilbe, Ney Alvarez, Dina Kispe, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Our engagement producer is Natalia Aldana. Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is our head of audio. If you like the show, subscribe and write us a review. That always helps. We'll be back.